handcrafted and American-made right here in the USA. B Pro Kennels is bringing you a premium-built dog box unlike anything you've ever seen before. Built from a full-tube frame, aluminum powder-coated shell, built-in lockable storage, and oh, did you forget to charge those dog collars before you left? No worries, B-Pro has you covered with their built-in solar panel and battery bank to take care of all your charging needs while out on the road chasing birds this fall. Give them a serious look at BProKennels.com. All good things start with a solid foundation. At Final Rise, all three of their premium Upland vests are built around the foundational waist belt to provide you all-day comfort and endless customization. With a secure waist belt and a thin, high-quality shoulder harness, which sits perfectly along the back, holding everything in place. Durable, premium Upland gear made here in my neighboring state of Herber, Utah. Check them out at finalrise.com. Also, be sure to check out the brand new Sidekick Vest, which is the perfect ultra-light, ultra-minimalistic vest that you'll be rocking in the hills this season. You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. This podcast is also sponsored by Anook Shook Professional Dog Food and Trinity Bretons home of the Epignol Breton. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 50 of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and I cannot believe we've made it to 50 episodes. A few more, if you're counting some bonus episodes we put out, including uh, my tailgate talk with Jeremy, uh, which I put out on Friday. I'm going to be doing those every couple weeks, uh, maybe about every other week right now. So that's going to be kind of a continued mini-series, if you will, uh, with my good friend, Jeremy Lowry. So make sure to check that out. um, speaking of bonus episodes, I also did uh, an episode with my wife a while back. And, uh, you know, she's a non-hunter and got her take on, on things related to bird dogs and my hunting trips. And it was it was pretty fun. I'll have to get her back on the podcast here uh, in the future. Uh, I did want to take a quick minute while I brought up my wife and just say thank you. Just say thank you to my wife for her support over the past year and a half of me locking myself in the garage for hours on end, uh, usually after work. And, you know, she's taking on extra responsibility with the kids and the house and just life. I mean, she she works full time as well. And and so, I, uh, babe, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for, you know, allowing me to, you know, do what I'm doing, um, continue the show, be on social media as, as much as I am, uh, really has meant a lot to me. So thank you so, so much. Um, guys, I got a really fun uh, show for you today couple things to uh to go over before we dive into the podcast um first off i just want to thank you thank you guys the listeners for your continued support uh with the podcast uh you know subscribing to it you've you've left rating and reviews uh you've shared it on social media and and again i've i've talked about this i think last week on, on the episode as well but you know the engagement i get to to have with uh with so many of you uh, who listen to the show, you know, hearing how or why it's impacted you in your Upland journey um, is really a big motivator for me. And so thank you because without listeners of the show, 
it's just me talking to a microphone and that is pointless. <laughs> so I love hearing how the show has impacted you in, in one way or another. So uh, keep it up. Hey, a couple uh, quick announcements before we get too far um, for the Patreon community. Um, I have finally finalized some details for uh, a few months of some really, really sweet giveaways through Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, there's three levels of membership. Um, you can sign up, cancel anytime, super simple. But uh, I have some really, really incredible giveaways coming up here. The companies include Upland, uh, sorry, Upland Knife Company, Cable Gangs, Final Rise, and Gunner Kennel. So uh, there's some really, really cool uh, prizes up for grabs. How we're going to do this is I'm going to do a giveaway a month. So we're going to have a July, August, September and an October giveaway. So we're doing four months of giveaways. Um, it is going to be winner's choice. So um, I, I, I've changed this up a little bit. I think I was, I was saying it was going to be the fan kit from Gunner um, for July. I'm actually going to just make this a winner's choice giveaway. A little simpler because, you know, depending on who wins, you might want something different. So I'm just going to make it winner's choice uh, for these, these giveaways. So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash the Upland Rookie Podcast, or just go to the website, uh, patreon.com and just search the Upland Rookie Podcast. Um, you'll find my page and then there's three tiers of, uh, of membership over there. Um, so basic level, get your name in the hat for all giveaways, two times, uh, the mid tier, uh, membership, get your name in the hat five times and the top tier, uh, get your name in the hat 10 times. Plus, uh, the first 10 people to sign up for the gold level wing shooter, um, will get a free Upland rookie podcast hat. So that's only available for to the first 10 people. So let me tell you what is up for grabs in this giveaway. So, um, again, winner's choice is going to be a July, August, September, and October giveaway. So each of those months, uh, one person will be drawn from Patreon and you will get your chance to pick uh, one knife from Upland Knife Company. Now, Mike Thompson over there is putting out some incredibly handcrafted, made right here up in Montana, uh, some incredible knives. And these are beautiful, beautifully designed and crafted knives um, that are just, I mean, they look badass. Um, he is going to throw on the podcast logo uh, engraving onto this knife, uh, whoever wins. So that's going to be a nice little customized knife. Uh, I'm incredibly excited uh, to see see how that looks. So um, that's option one. Option two is a Cable Gangs system uh, from Cable Gangs. So you are going to get your choice. Uh, whoever wins is going to get their choice of a two dog system with stakes. So it's going to be a two dog system with two stakeouts, um, or you can uh, upgrade to a four dog system. So winner's choice. Again, you can either choose the, the two dog system with stakes or a four dog system without stakes. Uh, that's from Cable Gangs and Brennan Landry. Uh, Brennan, thank you so much. Um, and then Gunner Fan Kits. Um, those uh, are you know from Gunner. You know they make great products quality made They're, they've upgraded the fan kit and super long lasting battery really really nice uh, fan again keep your dogs cool august september october can be warm you know if you're hitting prairie, uh, hitting the prairies those those are going to come in real handy on your kennel keeping your dogs cool so 
That's option three. And option four is going to be a final rise vest. Now again, winner's choice over if you want the new sidekick vest, the super ultra light sidekick, the legacy or the summit. So um, that is you know, gonna be your choice on which vest is going to suit you and your needs this fall. So again, just to remind you, we're gonna do winner's choice, giveaway each of the next four months, July, August, September, and October. Um, I really, really want to thank these companies for putting these products forward uh, for listeners of the show. Again, to be entered into the giveaway, you must be signed up on patreon.com slash the Upland Rookie Podcast. Um, all right, before we jump into this episode, uh, I have a special guest, Ronnie Bame. Ron Bame, uh, he, uh, some people might refer to him as the OG, <laughs> uh, Uncle Ron. And uh, I was really honored that he, uh, he decided to uh, you know, come on the show and let me interview him. Uh, he runs the Honey Dog Podcast, and he is well over 300 episodes in. Kind of, um, kind of got things rolling here with the, the Upland Podcast, the Honey Podcast game. And so we talk a little bit about that and his journey. Um, but we kind of go back to the roots of, of his upbringing and get to kind of flip the script a little bit. You know, he does a great job of interviewing some, some really, really great guests with you know, with thought out answers and, or thought out questions. And so I've really appreciated, you know, learning from him, listening to what he's, he's been putting out there. And so it's definitely fun, uh, flipping the script a little bit and, uh, letting, letting him, uh, do, do the talking. And so, um, one of the things he gives some really, really good advice, um, for, uh, not just someone new to hunting, but, I think people who've been doing it a while, I think some advice he gives at the end about dogs and hunting and conservation. Um, I, I was, when he said this live and, and we were talking, it just, it hit a chord with me because I was, I was in a very similar spot. Um, not, you know, just up until a couple of years ago but with conservation and uh, wildlife management and, and all that. So um, I'll, I'll just tease that. Um, stay tuned till the end. Again, I, he shares some, some really good wisdom with us. So anyways, guys, um, we're going to jump into episode 50's conversation with Ron Bame. Um, how was your, how was your trip to Alaska? You, you just got back pretty recently, right? Yeah, no, it was a great trip. I've, I've been up to Alaska. I think I counted 12 times now. Um, once on a caribou hunt to the North slope. Uh, but the other, the other 11 times have all been to Prince Wales Island over to the shack. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it was just like every trip. And for some reason, when I go there, we have good weather. I've never had one of those weeks where it's just catch a can or Prince of Wales. It's in a rainforest, but I've never, literally never had a week there where I had to have a raincoat on all week. It was wow. unseasonably nice out. So my son-in-law got to go with me. He got to get himself a bear. I caught a lingcod. I don't like fishing, but I got to go because everybody's going. So to come on around, we need another rod in the water. So occasionally I catch something and add to the bounty. Um, but yeah, it's always, it's just always, to me, it's almost the favorite thing is getting on that float plane and just flying over the ocean and then around the Island and then just landing there out or something, something about that. It makes you feel like, yep, I ain't going home right now. <laughs> is it, are, are those little, are those little prop planes? Are those a little, a little sketchy? Do you, do you ever feel a little nervous getting up in those? I don't, but the funny thing is there isn't any of them that are any younger than me. If you get in any, what they call those are called uh, 
beavers and, and the bigger one's called an otter, but a beaver is made by de Havilland. It's a defunct airplane company. I think it's from Canada. And they made a lot of them back in the day and they just keep rebuilding them. So like when you sit in the, when you sit in the cockpit or the second seat, you're looking at a dashboard that was made in 1957 or 55. You're not reassuring 56. me here. You're not reassuring me. This is... no, I know. And they all put in a nice new nav, you know, a nice new screen for their display, but everything else in that plane is, you know, crank flap up here and a, and a flat panel down here when you're landing. And yeah, it's, so if, if you believe that, you know, things made in the 50s were good like I do, then it's safe. <laughs> hey, they're, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep going. Because you got to be pretty pretty cautious about like weight limits too on those things, right? With all your gear and, and stuff that you're you're hauling in. Yeah. When you get all your stuff there, um, everything's put on the scale. And, mm. and if they don't think your weights, if they think you're lying, like if there was a bunch of really large people that were saying, uh, how much you weigh? 200. And they looked at you funny. They put you on the scale. Um, so yeah, it, everything's scaled. I think that plane can fly with sixteen hundred pounds total. Wow, wow, that's not much. And gear. That's not much. No, it's not. When you put four adults in there, that's already you know eight hundred pounds right there. Golly, so, golly! How and how was the how was the bear hunt portion for your uh, son-in-law? Oh, it was great. I think uh, I think he got his on his third night. I think it was his third night. Maybe no, it was his second night. He got it on his second night. And uh it was he was just geeked up, you know. He was he was grinning from ear to ear. And then we got done skinning that bear about probably about 12 30 that night. Mm. Um, got back, we eat dinner and make dinner and clean up. And then we went out on the porch with headlamps and uh, there is some electricity up there. Yeah. And then we skinned that out and got the skin in the freezer, got the meat in the freezer, and it was about I don't know, 1230, one o'clock, probably when we walked up to the other, to Danny's cabin. And then we sat on the porch up there for about another hour. And he kept telling the story over and over like all hunters do. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great trip. That's awesome. Other than I fell, I fell through the, they have an old dock there that they, somebody (laughs) gave them. When I say old dock, I mean old dock. It's a floating plank basically. And I went with a 50 pound bag of rock salt straight through the, straight through the dock. Into the water? And don't ask me. Well, my right leg was all the way in the water. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a that's a good story right there. Yeah, I mean, so I was literally pinned on the dock with a bag of rock salt on my shoulder. You know, asking, and I I hear the plane starting up and going away, and I'm thinking I might have a fucking broken leg here. I don't know. It's, a, it's that rock shocked. salt. It's the rock salt that put you over and, the edge. I, yeah. Yeah, the weight limit on the rotten board. Yeah, but no, it was a great trip. Was great. Uh, that's awesome, Ron. That's awesome. Well, let's back up just a second um, in case uh, the listeners might not have heard of you. Um, we we're talking to, uh, well, I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and where are you talking to us from? Well, this is Ron Bame from the Hunting Dog Podcast. And I'm in, uh, I'm in my kennel in Virginia, or not in Virginia. I was in Virginia a week ago. <laughs> Um, in Michigan, just got done cleaning up. Uh, my daughter's dog is staying here and she completely shit the inside of the corner of the kennel. Just got done cleaning that up. So when I told you I'd be ready earlier, earlier, I wouldn't have been ready any earlier than now. And I got a candle lit right now. So yeah, coming to you from West Michigan. And, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I started doing this podcast. This is my eighth year doing it. 
And now there's, uh, I don't know, there's probably, what, a dozen dozen of us out there now doing this? I, Some, I would think. Something there's like that. A few, a few that have come and gone, but uh, I think I told you what I told a lot of people when they asked me. I said, yeah, you stick it out for a year. If you're still doing it, I'll, I'll jump on and shoot the shit, you know, because <laughs> uh, I, I get I get the request a lot. Trust oh, me. I'm sure. I'm sure you do. I'm sure. Well, I, I, I appreciate you. Uh, you got right back to me. I emailed you and you're like, absolutely. would love, would love to. So, um, and this is my, my 50th episode celebration or celebration. I don't know. This is not someone, someone didn't die. Um, 50th episode. Oh. And I'm, I'm thankful that, that you've come on to, uh, to share some of your wisdom and, uh, and get to know you a little more. So I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, speaking of, of podcasts, I mean, let's just kind of start there a little bit. Um, I mean, you have been doing this, I mean, eight years, that's a long time to be, to be, you know, at this podcast game and you were kind of the, I think the original Upland hunting podcast. Is is that right? Yeah. As Tyler and a few other guys call me and Nick and those boys, they, they say I'm the OG. I I don't know what that means, but I I think it means original. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Original. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was, yeah, I, I was a big podcast listener. I disconnected the XM radio in my car probably 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago in my tr- in one of my trucks and started listening to podcasts. And then with my lifelong, not lifelong, but decades long connection with Steve from, from uh, Meat Eater, he was going to be on Joe Rogan's podcast. This is like way early in Joe's podcast. And I said, well, that's cool. And I figured out how to listen to it. And I was like, shit. And I started listening to Joe Rogan podcast and a few other ones. And there wasn't anything in our genre, you know, on dogs. And there was some weird little one. It was, I forget what it was called, but it was like somebody reading a paragraph out of a dog book or something. It was, I wouldn't call it a podcast by any means. And, uh, so a couple of years later, Joe had talked Steve into doing a podcast. He's, he's always telling Joe Rogan tells everybody to do a podcast. That's probably why there's 2 million podcasters in the country. But um, so we, we went to go do a crane hunt in Texas and Steve told me, he says, Hey, don't, you know, don't wander off after, you know, when we get done cleaning birds, he says, we're going to do a podcast. I said, really? I said, that's cool. I said, well, where are we going to go? He goes, no, we just brought the equipment, you know, and I had a little better equipment than you or I do, but it was still just a suitcase with a, a mixer and headphones. And so as soon as, uh, as soon as I realized that you could do this in a kitchen, which means I could do it in a kennel or I could do it on the tailgate. I honestly thought that all podcasts had to have a studio, like, you know, a sound in like a big setup and yeah, producer and all that. Yeah, something. I thought you had a, I thought you had to know something, you know, <laughs> Um, and, and apparently I was the perfect for it cause I didn't know shit, you know? So yeah, I, I recorded that one with Steve in December and I told him when we hung up the headphones, I said, I'm going to buy some equipment and I'm going to start a podcast January 1st. He says, well, he says, then ours will come out on the same day. Oh, no way. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got one of my buddies over here that I hunted with and I, he's like, what are we, what are we doing? I said, just. <laughs> They're talking. Well, we're always talking. I said, I know, but we're, we're being recorded. He's like, no, I don't want to do that. It's funny when when people know, when people know they're going to be recorded, it it can, I don't know. There's this thing that gets in people's head of like, Oh wait, you know, it's like, no, just, just talk like you naturally do. I've had experience to people, like I said, for all these years, a couple times a year, I'll get somebody who 
will be referred to me by somebody else. They're like, oh, Ron, you got to talk to uh, Will Larson, right? Just, you know. And Will happens to be older than me. And when I talk to him on the phone, it's great. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, but I, I don't know how to do this podcast thing. I said, <laughs> I said, I could have been recording what we just yeah. did. I said, just if you're going to put your mindset in it, pretend you're sitting down on a plane. You never want to be next to anybody, but the guy next to you is reading Pointing Dog Journal. And you go, hey, what kind of dog you got? And, it, and he goes, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you're right. some, some people think you're supposed to do a radio voice or, you know, depends on what you want to do. So, <laughs> no, that's how I started. And, I, uh, I love that. Because, yeah, I mean, eight years ago, I mean, I mean, podcasts weren't huge eight years ago. It was kind of, kind of I don't know, I think kind of a newer thing, right? I mean, sure, I think Joe Rogan, like you said, was, was up and running, but. There was certainly, there was certainly a, a lot of them out there. But now I think, you know, there's so many niche podcasts like Uplands mm-hmm. and Dogs, you know, yeah. I mean, where there was more broad, there was broader, po- a lot of broad yeah. podcasts, crime novel ones or something. Sure, like sure. Um, now it's like every swinging Charlie like you and me just wants to talk to people. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I didn't know if people were even going to listen to this thing. I mean, what I had to say. Um, what, I mean, okay. So, so you've been doing eight years. You're what, 300 and some odd episodes in, right? What have you, like, what are some, what are some takeaways? Like, what are some things you've learned along the way of, of this journey? Uh, I guess for the, for good or for bad, like what, what are some things you've taken away from, from doing this for so long? Well, I don't know if I've taken anything away from it. I think what I've realized was it's hard to find 50 different people a year, mm. you know, yeah. and hard to make that schedule up and keep that schedule up. And mm. I'll tell you half the year, like there's times when I, I'll finally get a hold of somebody, I'll tell them, I'll ask when they can do it. And they'll say, well, I could do it tomorrow. I'm okay. And that thing gets released two days later. So I, I do not, as a lot of people have, you know, six or seven episodes all done already. And I'm usually maybe two weeks ahead, maybe okay. on a, on a good month. Okay. Um, so I haven't learned anything except to prepare, you know, <laughs> meaning don't, don't get a couple podcasts, you know, recorded and think you got two weeks before you got to find another guest. So yeah. I, it's really taught me uh, a buddy of mine. I can't, I could turn my computer, but I've never been very organized and I've got a big giant four month grease board and that has helped me hugely. Mm. I mean, like I've got notes in, in red and green and black all over the thing. And I live and die by that thing now. So mm. it, it, it'll say next week's guest or something like, oh, oh yeah, who is it? Who is it going to be? You know, um, so I've just learned that I have to be a little more organized, sure. but I don't know if there's a takeaway from it. I think the takeaway, if there's a takeaway that if you're speaking to someone in your genre, which is what I love, you know, people, dogs, guns, birds, you know, it's not, it's easy, mm. you know, the takeaway, this is not hard to do. Sure. You just got to have a passion for talking to people. And I've got diarrhea of the mouth. My mother said it, my teacher said it, you know, I, I could not be a solo, like, you know, those solo show hunters that go out and film themselves. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, no, not, yeah. That I, I, I would probably be hanging from a tree after four days <laughs> would that. not work. Well, I'd have at least have to have a volleyball like Tom Hanks. <laughs> there you go. Carried around you in your, uh, your bag. And I, have, you- I have to bring Wilson. Yeah, I'd have to bring Wilson. <laughs> you know? 
Um, so, so, so last question on podcasting, just because I'm, I'm curious here. So like what, what keeps motivating you to, to keep putting these episodes out, to, to keep doing this year after year? Like what's that, that driving factor for you? You know, I guess that's as much as I'm disorganized, I've always stuck to stuff. Hmm. You know, I, I I might not know where my tools are or where my wallet's at, or, but if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And so I did not set an end goal. I just set a goal to do a podcast. And honestly, it's, it's become so much fun. It's become fun for me. And it, it's not like a little hunting trip, but it's, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's just a great part of my week is getting a, a podcast recorded. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's just that I, I stick to things, you yeah. know. Now, I'm not saying I stick to exercise bikes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's crazy. Why would someone do that? Right. 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 I don't, I don't, uh, you, you young people exercise too much. You're gonna, <laughs> my age, you ain't going to be able to walk. But, uh, that's yeah, no, it's just, good. I've always had, like I said, I, I've done the same kind of job my whole life. Um, had the same second wife for 36 years. I, I like to say, if I can, I stick to something. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, and, I, and it also became a job. I mean, I'm sure it's, it also has become my job. Once I, I don't know where you're at. I think I listened to a couple of your, you've got a couple sponsors that you work yeah. with or a couple of people you're working with, whether they're in trade or in kind or for sure. money. Um, once I, I, once I actually got a couple of companies to give me money, I was like, just like taking a purchase order. Like, well, I told them I was going to do it for a year sure. and they're paying me. So I can't not do it. Yeah. And then, then it became, then it became my living when COVID hit, I quit business, my business. And mm. this is my, this is oh, my you, you, went, you went all in, you went all in. You're like, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's, it's, that's fun. Yeah. That's really fun. Well, I, I, I told the same thing. I, I had Nick Larson on a few weeks ago when, um, when I picked up my mm-hmm. first bird dog, um, it was your podcast and Nick's the, the first ones I, I, I kind of stumbled across. I don't even know how I came about them. Um, yeah. but I started listening to them and I'm like, all right, like it started to give me the tools and, and some of the knowledge to, um, and just some of the excitement, it gets you excited for, you know, getting out training your own dog, getting out, finding, you know, new, new public ground. So thank you. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. Thank you for, for what you've, what you've been oh. doing. Oh, I, I, like I said, I won't quit until, until they throw the dirt over me. I <laughs> love it. Um, all right, let's get into a little more, a little more hunting, a little bit about your dogs. Um, what, so you got, you got a whole bunch of dogs now, don't you? You got some Broncos, a Cocker and a wire hair Vishla, right? Why don't you talk about, talk about some of your dogs? Yeah. Well, the Broncos were my, I guess my second wave, my first wave of dog, my first good dog was was a German short hair named Queenie. And I got here, I got her from a very reputable breeder and trainer in Rockford, Michigan, Jim Ripkema, um, who I'm who I still see from time to time. It's it's really fun to see the guy. Um but I I, I kind of as people would say in the dog world, I kind of I ran with German wire hairs for a decade and a half mm. probably. Um right around the end of that I I got involved with helping a guy home rehome a Brocco. Hmm. I didn't know what they were. They happened to be on the cover of a magazine of our club magazine. So I, I knew what they were by looking at them, but I had never seen one. No one had ever seen them in the field really. And this guy wanted one and he found one and I helped facilitate getting it to him. And uh, the dog was such a clown 
uh, it ended up living at my neighbor's house, you know, for about eight years. And because uh, he didn't want it after he went through all the research to get this dog, turned out it was gun shy, at least temporarily. Mm. And Bill was an old guy and he says, oh, I, I can't take it if it's gun shy. Oh, well, you should have done your homework. But anyway, yeah, it lived basically across the street from me about a quarter mile away. And I said to myself, even though I had my wire hairs, I said, I, I'm going to try one of those goofy long-eared dogs that you don't have to really don't have to spend as much time yelling at them as you do other <laughs> dogs. Now I'm not saying yelling at a dog has never sure. been a good training method. I, totally, everybody totally. knows. But if you've got a wife and kids and a job and more than one dog, you will find yourself yelling at the dog it's, some point in your it, life. It's going to happen. Right. Yeah. It just, it just comes with the territory. It's like a, a dad with three kids. You're going to yell at him. You may not be real proud of it after you get done yelling at him, but God damn it, you're going to yell at him sometimes. And <sighs> with that breed, I found myself yelling a lot less, which was good. Yeah. yeah it's like a change of pace. You're like, Hey, this is, this is nice actually. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. My dog didn't run away. Well, that's interesting. Wow. Um, so, so was my that dog didn't bring home, my dad, dog didn't bring home a dead fawn. My dog didn't bring home the neighbor's cat. You know, it, yeah, there was a lot of enlightenment there going on with the Broncos. Oh gosh. Um, but yeah. And then there are other dogs in here are, are V my Cocker Spaniel. She's my second Cocker Spaniel. I lost yeah. Taffy uh, at, at very young age last Christmas to pancreatic cancer, mm. which was just a fluke wasn't a breed thing it wasn't a lineage you know it wasn't a genetic thing yeah could have been from some kind of poison you can read all you want about it but i i was smitten with her and i will probably always have at least one cocker around so yeah i mean literally um, like minutes after my vet called me and opened her up yeah. and said yeah it's, there's no hope and i said we we kind of knew that but yeah. she said let me just you know like she goes, you were going to come in and have us look at it anyway. Sure. She, said, Let me, she stayed after work and she opened her up and zipped her right up and, and mm. put her down, you know, when she saw what she saw. Yeah. And uh, How, was she, so I, was she, was she young? Oh, oh yeah. Was two and a half years. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's, yeah. that's really, rough. Really that is, but, that is, you know, I've, I've been, I've been through a lot rougher than that. Trust me. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. when it comes to dogs, I've had some, I've had some dog tragedies, but, um, that's just, it's just, I think, you know, if you're into the dog, if you're going to be in this game, you know, in the dog world, you've got to develop thick skin. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, you know, I, I've not, you may not know Will, but of course you get a lot of correspondence from listeners and everybody sure. always hears me quote this George Bird Evans quote about, you know, a dog's life being so short. Mm -hmm. I don't, even a dog like Taffy, if, if the breeder told me, there's a good chance at two and a half she could die. Hmm. Now I might not buy that dog, sure. but if if something came up where like I had the dog, went to the vet, and then let's say the vet heard a heart murmur, and I already had the dog, I'd be like, okay, how long do I got with her? Yeah, could be two years, could be five. Could, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything different. You know, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm always willing to take the next one on. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, yeah. Having, like you said, thick skin is, is kind of a must because things are going to happen to dogs and, and with a weird, whether it's an accident or, or some, some health stuff, like it's, it's going to happen and, and you got to be able to 
understand it for what yeah. it is. Um, real quick, before we get into the wire-haired Vishla, um, with, with the cockers right now, like, it, I'm just curious, like cockers have been exploding right now. Like cockers have, I mean, you'll see, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry left and right getting cockers. What the hell is yeah. the, the cocker craze right now? And, and what makes them so special? You know, I think, I think people, it was just like one of those, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm not trying to, I can't find the words for it. It was kind of like the best kept secret in the world, right? Mm. They've been around forever. Now that's the American cocker has been around forever, but the English field bred cocker, um, it's been on, you know, plantations and guys, I I know, I know guys have had them for 20 years Mm. and then told me like, Oh yeah, I had a cocker. Really? Oh, best dog I ever had. Mm. And then you read these articles about them, which sways a lot of people. Um, they're, they're just, a, I mean, they're so people oriented. They're kind of hard to train a little bit. You got to, you know, tweak it a little bit, but they just love people. Like, I can't say that about all my German wire hairs. I can't even say that about all my Broncos on the opposite side of not aggression. I've had Broncos that wouldn't let anybody pet them. Mm. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing to me. If my dog cowers in the corner, sure. I'm like, what's wrong with this dog? Right. I didn't <laughs> right, raise right. it that way. Right. I didn't beat it in the submission. Right. You know, um, cockers just like, they come out of the box, like, boom, I'm a cocker. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You know, they just, and I think enough people told that story. And I mean, I, you're right. I mean, I think there's four different podcasters. I know that got cockers since I got, them. <laughs> they're, it's go, they're going crazy. Corner. Yeah, I know. And, and of course that's going to have a slippery slope. You know, there's going to sure. be, uh, there's going to be people that aren't happy with their dog sure. and there's going to be people that are happy with their dog where, yeah. you know, but when popularity is, is not always a good thing. So when, when you, know, you say, I'm everybody- oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, when, when you were saying you, you said you have to kind of tweak the training a little bit, are you referring to versus a training, a pointing dog? It's, it's very different or just because of the cocker it's, what do you mean by that? The cocker itself is, is yeah. If the cocker happened to be a pointing dog, it'd still be different. It's, and people say this, I don't even have enough anecdotal evidence to tell it to you, except I saw it a couple times with Taffy. It's kind of like, if you do something wrong, they kind they don't forgive you. Hmm. I don't mean like they're going to sulk all day long. Sure. Like if you make a mistake in training, it's a lot of work to fix it. Hmm. where like with a German wire hair, you know, I'm not saying you can't make a mistake in training. Of course you can, but you could kind of set the reset pro, you know, you'd be like, all right, you know what, that, 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 my fault, my fault. All right. We're not going to do that. Where the cocker kind of like, I remember (laughs) how that went and I don't want to do it. (laughs) So they're a little, but I also did not take, taffy to a high level of training so it was kind of easy gotcha they, they literally you call one in i mean not when they're chasing a bird by any sure, means sure but, i mean you're just out and about with them and you just go <laughs> like i've never seen a dog respond this good in my whole life and i got dogs that i think love me <laughs> a nook shook professional dog food is the highest energy dog food in the world Anook Shook's dense formulations ensure that your pup in training and your seasoned bird dog get what they need to succeed in the field. Anook Shook works hard so your dogs can work 
harder. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. Trinity Bretons is the home of the Epignol Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field tested and family approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best bred Epignol Breton in the country. Check them out at trinitybretons.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Trinity Bretons. But they can't even get here as fast as a cop can get here. I think you've you've summed up the cocker energy very, very. I wish people could see your your facial expressions. Uh. Like that. And 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 they tend to like everybody. Like, you know, there there's a lot of dogs that don't like everybody. They're they kind of become one person dogs. I, I think I could give you know, if V was three years old and trained, I could, I could probably drop her off at your house. And she said, Oh, I'm hunting with him. I don't care. <laughs> Let's go. Care. Let's go. And are you, you know? are you hunting your cockers the same, I mean, same terrain, same country as you would some of your Broncos and, and other dogs, or are you picking like, you know, thick pheasant cover to run your cockers? Yeah. I don't, I don't run them in the prairie. I don't, okay. I mean, you can, it's just not real effective. Um, they're most effective in thick cover. So, um, you know, if you, even when I go South Dakota, if I'm in a big area looking for pheasants, I don't, I don't bring her, you know, because she's not going to cover the ground. Pheasants are famous for just not sticking around you. You know, they're, they're notorious for a lot of things. Sure. And it's, it's just really not the right. I would not call that a, I wouldn't even call that a great pheasant dog where it's nice is, like when you see a small slough and like, let's say it's winter time and you know, there's some pheasants in the area, you know, pheasants could run through cattail sloughs and stay on the ground with one dog. And if, if there's a handful of pheasants in there, let's say mm-hmm. you could walk through there and you're not going to get them out of there. They're just mm-hmm. going to run circles, figure eights. They might come out, they might fly and your pointing dog's going to go in there and point yeah. and yeah, eventually relocate. But the cocker is just, they, they tear it up like a weed whacker. <laughs> you know, they're, they're obsessed with like, you know, it, it's just a, so where they're really good is in thick cover. And of course I live in Michigan and we hunt grouse and woodcock sure. and they can make a very effective grouse and woodcock dog. And that's, that's where they got their name from in England. You know, the cocker was used for the woodcock. It was. Oh, interesting. Dog smaller dog could get into thicker, lower cover. And then the Springer Spaniel was a bigger, taller dog. So they were really the same dog. Once upon a time, the tall ones became Springers. The small ones became Cockers. That's fascinating. Look at that. Learn a little history on here. Trivia yeah. <laughs> comes out. Yeah. Oh gosh. We're just getting warmed up. All right. Uh, where haired Vishla. What the heck that that's a, that's a pretty, I mean, uncommon breed right there. Yeah. And I, I would have never, I would have never picked the breed except that I met the breed uh, probably five years ago at a, at Pheasant Fest. Um, A a lady that I now know over in Wisconsin, she was there with, with one of them and it had the same exact disposition as my Broncos. Mm. It was like, it would come up to you and it would just lean on you. You know, not just stand there and get petted. It yeah. leaned, you know. It's like, give me and some I'm love. Like, oh, 
well, I'll be damn, you know, and I'm petting the dog and she's like, are you interested in them? I'm like, so far, you know, I, I backed off. I did not buy one, but then I was out in North Dakota a year ago and I'm a, a young lady there. Allison had a, a male and I liked him. And then she happened to tell me she had a litter of dogs on the ground that just born. And I'm like, what the heck? What the heck? You know, I'll take a roll on it. And, and uh, tag, his name is tag. It's named after a ghost town in North Dakota. And um, so, yeah, he's, uh, he's a combination of really of, I don't want to, I've never owned a Vigila. I don't know if you've ever been around Vigilas. I've been around a couple, um, but not, not extensively. Right. And there, you know, I would say Vigilas could be all over the board. There's a bunch of pet dog breeder Vigila yeah. people. Then there's a bunch of great field Vigilas, but it was never a breed ever on my radar. Hmm. It, you know, it's just for whatever reason. Great Danes aren't on my radar either. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just, uh, Vigil was never on my radar. I've seen a lot of nice ones. They're, they've got all kinds of talent. It's just never, you know, something's got appeal to you first, you know? Yeah. So this was kind of like the disposition appeal to me. And then I had that really great tough coat like I used to have mm. on my first German wire hair. Yeah. I mean, this his coat... His coat is better than probably any German wire hair I've ever really? seen. Wow. I mean, it's that thick and that wiry. In fact, he, he's got, an, you know, even on a scale of wire-haired Vigla coats, yeah. it varies just like Griffons and just like wire hairs and Drothars. Their coats can vary from slick to almost, you know, almost nothing mm. to it could have a very nice serviceable coat, dual coat. Um, I got very lucky out of that litter. He, I think he's probably got the best coat out of the litter. That's awesome. Um, yeah. be able to go through shit that, you know, most dogs would turn back from. I mean, and you, you probably know this way better than me. I have not been around many of the wire hair breeds, but was that again with the German wire hairs or other wire hair dogs, they were bred so that they were kind of breeding for that coat. So they wouldn't get tangled and stuff and, and beat up by, by a brush. Is that right? Yeah, it's a more durable coat, a, a much more durable coat, basically. And they were looking for, and they were looking for harshness, mm. which, you know, like when a dog, now you've, you've got Brits, they've usually got a dense and soft coat. Mm. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much, you know, um, as long as they got a dense coat, you know, when your dog goes through a bunch of CRP grass, if he goes through it long enough, he's going to, he's going to be all red here. Right? Yeah. He's going to yep, be yep. red four legs and, uh, I don't know what the, the terrain was in Europe, but I'm sure they've got something like, you know, rough grass or sure. you know, switch grass. Cattails, the same thing. Cattails will tear a dog up. Oh, yeah. Red. So I think they were just trying to improve the coat. And uh, I, I don't think it has anything to do with anything else, but then yeah. just having a good, durable, serviceable coat. Yeah. Um, and with that came the, the facial. The beard and all that. Yeah. <laughs> And that that's problematic in itself, though. Trust me. Even, oh, sure. even with a great wire hair, a great wire hair coat or a great drawtar coat, you're gonna be picking <laughs> all the stick, all the stuff out of their ears. And, oh gosh, you know. gosh. Um so so with is it Tangus or Tungus? Your your Tagus. Tagus, Tagus. So with him, so he's pretty young still. So how how's training been going with him and, and how's he been doing this summer? I, he's been doing real well. Uh very strong retrieving instinct. And I literally took a path that basically right out of my Upland Institute course that Justin and I do. 
um, I decided to take it very, very slow with him. Hmm. Uh, wasn't, I didn't, I, I, I went to North Dakota without him, even though I named him after the town I went to. I, I said, you know what? I've got other dogs that need work. He doesn't need to run around and figure this stuff out yet. I, you know, people love bringing, if you only got one dog and you're going out West, yeah, yeah. you're going to bring a six month old dog yeah. because like, why not teach yeah. him create, you know, he learns to travel in a truck. He learns to travel, eat on the road. He learns to sleep, you know, all that's great for a young yeah. dog. You just typically don't get a lot of great hunting with a six month old dog. So I was just, I said, no, he'll, he'll get a little grouse and woodcock hunting here and come springtime, I'll get him. He's literally been on probably, I know this will sound funny. He's probably been on maybe six birds in his okay. whole life. Now he's a year old. Okay. Um, is that, is that typical for you and you and your dogs no, or is that this? No, little, little no, different? I, used to, I used to get him in front of pigeons and launchers and, oh, we gotta, we gotta take him to the pheasant preserve. Let's make sure, you know, all these things are inherited traits, right? Sure. You know, pointing is a pointing is you can't make a dog point. You can, you can stop a dog. Like you could stop it. Like if you had a pointing dog that doesn't point and it's rare, but it, but it happens, especially with young ones. And if you kind of panicked and didn't hunt wild birds, which not everybody can hunt wild birds all the time. Sure. I can't, you know, I, I hunt a lot of preserved birds over my lifetime. Um, if you had to, upon the smell of a bird, you could teach a dog to stop. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's just a command. When you see him making game, you teach him whoa. Right. Um, so pointing is an instinct. And I know from its lineage and what its parents did, I'm like, there's no doubt in my mind this dog's going to point a bird when he smells a bird. Mm. I mean, why wouldn't he? Right. And I was gambling a little bit and I was kind of trying to make a point. And three weeks ago, I went out to our training grounds and somebody said, I got an extra chucker. Somebody said, you want to put him on? I'm like, eh, all right. I put it out in the field. I took him on a check cord. I let the check cord go. He probably hadn't smelled a bird in two months before that and four months before that. And he locked up on point. Mm. <laughs> like, okay. Here we go. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's an instinct, right? You know, um, in retrieving the same way, I, I have backed off on doing a lot of early retrieving games. Now, really? Meaning meaning get out in the backyard, take that bumper and whip it, right? Yeah. Whip. Dog likes it. We like it. It's fun. But it's, it's not training, you know. It's not training. It, it's just fun, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you, and if the dog isn't really good, you're going you're gonna to create habits such as parading or dropping it early. Uh -huh. No. So, so, so you're, so, you're, so it sounds like you're taking a little bit, a little bit more of a slower approach in the, in the development of him. It sounds like. Yeah. And it's not because I think he's going to develop slow because his sisters have already passed their NA test with flying colors and they were hunting last November in North Dakota. Wow. So he could have been hunting. Sure. But I'm like, oh, he's fine. I yeah. wanted to, I, it's kind of, I, it's all, I wouldn't call it an experiment. I don't experiment yeah. with dogs, yeah. but I just, it was a different path. Yeah, a, a little bit, a little bit slower. And I got that from interviewing some of the European breeders and trainers that I've interviewed over uh, the years, which have only been maybe five or six, mm. but it's very typical in, 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 in the UK, let's say mm. to take your time with the dog. There's no mm. hurry. That's, that's so, 
That's so good. You say that I, w- I was just talking with, I, I think it was Travis Frank. I was talking with this, this, this same thing about, cause when I got my first dog, there's this panic that comes over, you know, is my first bird dog still figuring things out. And there's this panic of, I was always behind. I was always behind on, Oh, he has to get on 10 birds a day and he has to be doing retrieving in, by six months, let's say. And there, so there's always like this, this panic over, over me. And then, you know, once, once he gets older, I mature. Then the second dog comes along. It's like, wait a second. Like, like you're, like you're saying, th- like things will come in time. You're not like go at, go at your pace and go at the dog's pace. Right. But you know, we're the way we do things in this country is so different than every other country. You mm. know, most other countries, yeah. we like instant gratification. We want to make, you know, I got a pointing dog. I, I got to find out if it points. Like that's like saying you want to find out if it swims. <laughs> Like horses. Now, some dogs don't want to go in the water and retrieve things for you, but there's not a dog on this planet that can't swim. Right? (laughs) It's going to figure it out. It's going to figure it out the minute you put it in the water. You know, I will tell you a couple of Broncos I've known that didn't want to use their back legs. (laughs) I think I think they were just a little stupid. I, I had a tie of water running around one of them. So it uses back legs, but no, it's, it's, yeah, it's just an approach that I thought, you know, I am not in a hurry. I've got other dogs to hunt. I'm just going to take a little slower approach with it. And it might bite me in the butt. I don't know. I don't we, know. You'll see. I'll, I'll find out. I'll have his natural ability test coming up here in August. And I will, I'll make a prediction on your podcast that he will pass that test. All right. You, you heard it here, folks. Um, well, that, that leads me into, I did want to ask you, I know you referenced the Upland Institute. I uh, did want to ask you about, about what that is and, and why did you, you know, do, uh, start that? I know Justin McGrail, he's a, a friend of yours who, who did that with you. Can you talk a little bit about, a little bit about that? Yeah. I had always been trying to get Justin. I, I used to get him on the podcast and it was always, I mean, people would always say, Oh, bring Justin back. He's such a good narrow you know he's such a good problem solver he communicates really well too just right. really really and well he's done one job his entire life right it's working dogs like you couldn't get him to pound a nail straight with a hammer i personally i like being a little more versatile and being able to fix things <laughs> and go hunting right but he is so deep into it and has had a lot of great mentors and met some great people over the years um he he approaches it like like it is, it's his career. So when you ask him a question, it's not like a, Oh yeah, we do that. You know, he breaks it down. So I'd always been wanting to get him to do more content. And he's like, well, what do you want more? We, we, we do a podcast, you know, about every six, maybe eight months, you know, I'm like, yeah, but, and he, he started, he didn't even want to do the first one. You know, he was like that guy we talked about. Oh, I don't want to get on a microphone. I might steal my soul, you know? And then when he got a lot of listeners questions and was reading them and answer them, he's like, man, we got to do that again. And yeah, one day I was just over at his kennel and we actually talked about, uh, there's a, there, I, I won't say the breeder's name and not because it's good, bad or indifferent. Uh, there's a breeder of, of bird dogs that when you buy a bird dog from this person, you have to buy his video series. And, and it's not like a well-produced edited, you know, like, like what we did, but he wants you to have a, like a playbook. Right. And I said to Justin, I said, uh, when he told me about it, I said, yeah, I have heard about that. I've heard about that guy. 
And he said, he said, well, I ought to, I ought to put down my thoughts in a video for people. And I'm like, yeah, you ought to, people love you on the podcast and we ought to film you training. And it was just kind of like, eh, I don't know. And we were just really lucky when we decided to do it. Um, we, 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 we actually started with a GoPro, you know, a little GoPro on a stick and then found out that, yeah, that ain't going to be good for anything. You know, that's good for YouTube, you know, show, you know, walking with it on your head or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so we, we both looked at the film clips of it and he's like, he said, if we're going to do this, we got to get a real camera. I said, yep, we'll get a real camera. And I called up my friends at meat eater and I said, Give me the name, give me a brand of camera and a model that I've, that I could use. I don't want something so high tech that I got to go to film school. Yeah. So, so wait, anyway, you, you were going to do the recording of Justin, you yeah, yourself. Yeah, okay. I'm wow. Gonna, I filmed the entire thing. Oh, that's know? awesome. There's a, couple, there's a couple of segments that if he's in a training room, he could set it up on a tripod and sure. get something like if I couldn't be there the next day, and that dog is ready for another step on a table that he would self film that. But you know, 90% of it, I was walking with the camera and using a tripod. Um, yeah. So we just decided to do that and it would have took forever. And I hate to say this, but COVID was the best thing that ever happened to me mm. because it forced my company to close for a while, which ended up being permanent, which was good. And it gave me a year to just go over to Justin's, and see 30 different dogs and put all this on film. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it would almost be like if him and I wanted to do it today, it would probably take us three, four years. Sure. Because, I, you know, or he would have to hire a full-time cameraman. And can you imagine sure. what that would cost? Right. Um, you know, it, it would set anybody back from saying, yeah, I really don't want to spend a half. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> We're not going to do that. So, um, so, so what did so you yeah. guys, what did you guys end up putting together then? Is it kind of a, like a whole start to finish, like from puppy to finish broke everything. dog or. Yep. Everything right from the day you get the puppy home to advanced bird work. If you want them steady to wing shot and fall. Um, we, and we've got three courses. We got the foundations course, which is for puppy to first year. But I mean, you could take a two year old dog and put it through foundations, mm -hmm. but it works a lot better if sure. you start with a man, you know, as a puppy. Sure. Um, and then we have a complete trained retrieve series um, where in that series, we followed one dog. We didn't want to show mm -hmm. a dog that did one thing and a dog that didn't, we showed one dog. We showed an example of some other dogs in the process where we stayed with one dog, but the rest of it are all dogs that come through his training kennel. Some of his personal dogs and a lot of customers dogs, because if we want to show a dog that's not ready for prime time, right. And you're in the middle of teaching them something, what better than a dog that's at a trainer's place. It's there for that, you know? Yeah. So we would have a, a list of things we need and he would call me up and say, Ron, I got a guy's dog in. He wants me to get it used to uh, gunfire and birds. That's all he's looking for. Boom. Pop over there. And for a week we'd film that dog. You know, that's, and that's we'd see awesome. that dog. Yeah. So it just, it was, you know, very lucky the timing worked out that I had to. Absolutely. And, and is it all, is it all, um, like, it, I, I don't know what we call it, internet based videos or DVDs or yeah, how, how do people get it? No, it's, it's completely online. It's a course you, once you buy it, 
You could watch it over and over on your phone or your laptop or your nice. iPad. There's no deep. I don't think anybody has DVDs. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say some people are still putting out training DVDs. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know how you. I don't know what. I don't have a device for that anymore. No, same. I, I don't. Right. Laptops I'd don't have, have them. External, I'd have to get an external driver for my laptop. You you know, go go find laptop. a go find a Radio Shack selling business. <laughs> and what's really nice is if you're training, you can put an app on your phone, and then you can watch it just just like you do. And you can start and stop right where you were when you were Oh, very home. cool. And not that I don't want people to think they're going to walk in the field and try to train a dog. What we yeah. want people to do is watch, watch it, yeah. watch it and go apply it. Yeah. And then go back, watch it. And say, oh yeah. I see what I did wrong. And then go apply it. Yeah. And if somebody tries to do this while they're holding their phone, they're not going to get there. No, not going <laughs> to do not recommend. No, I mean, I think that's good. Cause again, you, you understand people are, are consuming content digitally on their phones, iPads, whatever. So I, I thank you for doing that because that's, that's all we're, we're using now. We're not using DVDs. Um, and yeah. so I think that's, that's a good way to deliver that, that kind of content. So that's, that's awesome. I'm glad you're, uh, you're doing that. Um, Ron, I always find it curious. I love to get to get into people's stories a little bit on like where, where did hunting and where did bird dogs, I guess, really kind of start for you? Was it something you grew up in or, or when did that, that passion really kind of start to develop? It was, uh, it, it was not a family thing. There was nobody in my family that hunted. Um, nobody on my mom or dad's side that hunted. And uh, what happened was I, I was just one of those kids that, you know, like so many kids always find a snakes. And fr- I, I loved, like, let's say if I'd have gone to college, I probably would have went into biology or zoology. Mm-hmm. I always liked animals, but I it had nothing to do with bird dogs. Um, a friend of mine's dad started taking me trap shooting when I was, I think I was about 15, 14 or 15. And uh, I met him in, yeah, I met him in high school. I, I knew him from the neighborhood, but you know, once we were in high school together, we were in the same school. And uh, he said, yeah, you ought to come out on a Sunday and go trap shooting with us. Oh, that sounds cool. You know, I don't have a gun. He goes, oh, my dad's got plenty of guns. So yeah, the gun, the gun came first, the gun <laughs> and trap shooting. And then our circle of friends, once I was doing it with Joe, somebody else wanted to do it. And by that point, like one of our other friends was a little older and he got himself, you know, at 18, you could buy a shotgun. And then so Frank had a gun and then Rusty had a gun. And, and then we started going on Friday nights to, to go trap shoot. And we had our own little trap shooting team, you know, five guys. And once you're at the trap club, it's not like I didn't know about hunting. Cause I, you know, I tried to hunt with a slingshot. I tried to hunt with a bow and arrow you know, like in the, on the, along the railroad tracks in sure. Chicago. I mean, we do all kinds of goofy stuff, <laughs> but no, I wouldn't identify as a hunter until I had a gun and a shotgun. And, uh, and then somebody told us about, you know, you guys ought to go to this place or that place in the state of Illinois. God bless them for, I don't, I don't thank the state of Illinois for a lot. And, uh, but they had a really neat program. I think two different areas in Northern Illinois that where I lived, I lived in Chicago. And so the state puts out pheasants and you can apply for a permit mm. once a year to go there, but you can also get in line because when people buy these, you know, apply for permits a year ahead of time, just by attrition, someone's not going to make it. Someone's yeah. having a baby. Someone's got, can't get the day off work. So there was always a will call line mm. and we made an art of it. I mean, we would go to these state run places like on a Friday night, you know, with a case of beer and, sit in a truck and be first in line. So if there's any 
if there was any cancellations, boom, we were, we were in, you know? Wow. That's dedication. So, yeah. Well, it was, you kind of had a beer I mean, and Well, <laughs> yeah. And you kind of have to do that in Illinois. <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah. We, uh, yeah. It started with trap shooting and then it turned into a state run pheasant place. And then I finally, you know, we saw a lot of people with dogs there, but you know, quite honestly, with five guys, you kick around, these are pen raised birds, you know, you're going to find some and they're going to fly. And, um, I'm sure we walk past a lot of them still, but, um, we got enough to always keep us interested. And then we'd bring them home. And, you know, my dad, my dad was a good, a real good butcher. And so he showed us how to clean a, You know, I never, I mean, I don't think there was a kid in Chicago that ever cleaned their own bird. You know what I mean? Because, you bought it from the store. You didn't, of course. didn't buy birds with that. You know, in Europe, you buy a chicken right off the hook. It's got the feathers on it. <laughs> right. So then you go, you go uh, clean it, clean it yourself. Right. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah. So shotguns. And then finally one day there, uh, the way that the state runs it, uh, they have a little, little lunch counter, a little sloppy Joe and coffee counter there. And we went back to get something to eat for lunch. And there was a guy there. And he said, how did you guys do? And we said, eh, we didn't do very good today. I think we got like four of us there. And I think we got two birds, you know? Um, and he says, he says, Hey, if you don't mind, I've already got my birds and you can only get two, two per person mm-hmm. anyway. Um, he said, I already got my birds, but I'd love my dog to work a little bit more. You want me to take you out? Um, we can go back to whatever you get, like you get an area to start off with. But after that, as people leave, you've got thousands of couple thousand acres to walk sure. around beautiful, beautiful facilities, uh, or terrain. And, uh, so he took us out with his German short hair pointer. And of course, again, I'm not, the dog was great. Absolutely great. But a, a preserved bird to a good hunting dog is like T-ball to a baseball player, right? Sure. It's good practice. Sure. So all we saw though, was this dog point and retrieve point and retrieve point and retrieve. And I was just blowing my mind. I was like, we got to get a dog. Yeah, of course. That, that was the next step. It took a few years, but that was, that was where the, the dog part came in, seeing somebody else's dog and yeah. to shoot a bird over. It oh, that's, that's fantastic. Do you, just curious, do you know, does Illinois, do you know, they still have that program where they will release birds? Yeah. To the best of my knowledge, it's still, it's still going on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it's got a lot, that's, that state's got a lot of restrictions. Yeah. Um, tons of the private land no real there's really no other place to go yeah i mean, I mean pri- yeah public, than- public land is is tough because I, I remember when I, I started out on a preserve yeah. in illinois and i drive way out way out west uh western illinois and when i started getting into that a little bit i was i looked i was like oh, like i want to hunt wild birds i started looking this is before i knew about onyx but um i was yeah. like i don't know where to go like it's just it seems like it's all all private right yeah nor- in northern illinois basically three quarters of Illinois is private. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the top three quarters of the state is private. The bottom of it's got plenty of public ground, but sure. that's good for deer and turkey. No, exactly. Exactly. So, so, so what brought you, what, what brought you up to Michigan? And was that, I mean, were you already into bird hunting pretty heavy then when you, when you went to Michigan? Yeah, I, I would say I, I never missed the season, you know, um, I had not traveled out of Illinois to hunt though, you know, and made a few connections. We did learn to knock on a, we had a couple doors we could knock on a couple guys I worked with knew a couple people, but it was always either those state programs or 
a couple of private farms and there were still a few birds around Illinois too, wild birds. Um, but uh, yeah, the move to Michigan came from, I'd gone there a lot as a kid to an uncle's place. And I had it in my head that as much as I would not trade places growing up in Chicago, I love growing up in Chicago. You cannot have that much fun in an entire <laughs> life. I don't care. Anybody says, Oh yeah, I rode the bus to school and got to shoot birds. That's fun. We got to break windows, jump on trains, jump on buses, jump across roofs, you know, hang out in cemeteries, outrun cops. I mean, we, you know, it was like, it was like our gang comedy for, yeah. you know, a dozen years. I, I love growing up there. But when I go to Michigan, I, because of that love of, you know, frogs, turtles, fish, and all that other stuff, I always wanted to move to Michigan. And mm. so I, I, that was, in, again, stick to it. I, I had that plan. I told people probably when I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, when I'd leave my uncle's place, come home, I said, I'm going to move to Michigan someday. My dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to get a job and you're going to live in Chicago. But dad, I'm, I'm moving to Michigan. He's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I said, oh, no, I'm moving to Michigan. And, and I didn't even know what that meant. It's just that. Yeah, you had it in your head. Head in my head. I'm moving yeah. to Michigan. So yeah. kind of like you, kind of like you mentioned earlier, you, you stick to, you stick to what you say you're going to do. And so if I'm going to do something, I do it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I started jujitsu at age 58, you know? Oh, wow. Good for you. Uh, and I walked into that place and they're like, we're, you're, 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 they didn't say you're too old, but I said, no, I'm going to do it. I, of course I got that from Joe Rogan too, you know, <laughs> talks, everybody into, talks everybody into doing jujitsu. So I'm like, I, yeah. I think I'll do it. Yeah. Give it a shot. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what's, what's this fall looking like for you, Ron? What do, uh, what are you excited about? Just want to take a quick moment and say, if you've ever considered a dog box, then now is the time to check out B pro kennels. B pro kennels is revolutionizing the dog box game style and function from their built-in solar panel and battery bank to charge collars or whatever you need on the go from their powder coated all aluminum design storage two-hole system three-hole system they have you covered for all upland rookie podcast listeners now is the time to get your order in today and you're going to save 30 percent 30 percent you use promo code rookie 30 that's rookie 30 you're gonna save 30 percent in the entire month of july on your dog box system from b pro kennels the first thing will be i i still have a place in virginia that i used for work for years and my three daughters their husbands and my wife and our dogs are going down to virginia for the opener of dove season oh nice we're spend labor we're gonna spend labor day down there and do some dove hunting and then I take off for North Dakota toward the middle of September. And then I, from there, I'm going to head to Wyoming. There I'll head home. And October, I'll be hunting around Michigan, hunting up in the UP for grouse and woodcock up there as well. Then November, I go to South Dakota. And January, I'm flipping a coin where I'm going to go for, I think I'm going to go to, I've been in Kansas in January before yeah. it's a great place in January. I love Kansas in January. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Just, that sounds, that sounds like action packed, uh, action packed fall right there for you. Yeah. And, and it's not as much, you know, there's people who hunt more than I do, Sure, but I love going to new places. Yep. You know, I, I had a friend from Wyoming call me up. It was three months ago and said, Hey, can you come out here and hunt? And I was like, yeah, I've been to Wyoming before. And he said, well, we're going to hunt up here. I'm like, never been there. <laughs> Sign you know, me up. I, 
Yeah, I, I, more people to talk to and a place I haven't been. And I'm a sucker. <laughs> I'm a sucker for that. that. That's the exciting part. Um, yeah, I mean, you you've been at this a long time, Ron. You've you've been you know bird dogs hunting, you know chasing birds. Uh, what's what's something I guess you've learned maybe uh, something something new uh, maybe over the last couple seasons, last couple years um, that you think is think is valuable to uh, to share with someone else. Well, I would say, yeah, I, I would say there is a takeaway lesson from that. For all the years I hunted, and even up to, I would say, quite to be really frank and not frank and honest with you, I'll say 10 years ago, maybe it was 15, but I'm just going to say 10 years ago because it's a little embarrassing. I didn't pay attention to habitat. Like, you know, I was a member of Pheasants Forever, and then I wasn't. I was a member of Rough Grouse Society, and then I wasn't. I was a member of Ducks Unlimited. But when I went duck hunting, I didn't look at the habitat. I didn't look to see if there was, you know, uh, food source. You know, I, I learned to, because of those habitat organizations to pay more attention to the habitat, which gets you more deep into, well, you can walk in a lot of brown grass and not find something, but you can go into a, a field and get to a corner where there's a swale and there's a bunch of bushes and there's different, there's pollinators. And so, yeah, the thing that I've learned in, in recent, like say the recent decade is how interesting it is out there and how I was, I was kind of part of the problem. I was just a hunter, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, ah, got my hunting license, you know, pay my dues. Yeah. Oh, I gave business forever 35 bucks to get a magazine. You know, I thought I was doing, there's just a lot more to it. Yeah. So I think, you know, paying attention to things like when you see, th- I don't know if you're a BHA member or yeah. PF member, or if you're a member of any of those groups, you know, you know, when they put a vote, when they send you an email and it says, contact your senator, I guarantee you 10, 15 years ago, I clicked delete. Yeah. Now I get on there and I want to read what, well, what's going on? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll call my senator. And it's really yeah. easy. They, yeah. they give you the link right to it. You know, you yeah. can go right to their email, send them an email. Yeah. So I've gotten, I was embarrassingly not that well engaged. I just, I think now in the latter half of my hunting career, yeah. you know, which is hopefully another 20 years on top of this will be um, being more concerned about opportunity, access, habitat, mm-hmm. habitat's the biggest thing, you know, yeah. like I, I'd see a new shopping mall go up and it never bothered me, Sure, you know, and now I see something getting built. I'm like, Oh, yeah, there'd be some more squirrels displaced. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, that's a, so, that's a really really good perspective on that because I I you're you're spot on I think a lot of people it just kind of in the back of your mind you think a hunting license a PF membership and you're good to go check off my list yeah. and, and ready to go yeah. when you kind of think about I guess I don't know this is a deeper question maybe like when you think about the state of hunting right now are you concerned about it at all or are you are you encouraged by by more participation and more people getting into it I, I guess do you have a pulse on that at all from your own perspective. Yeah. That might be a whole nother podcast. Will, uh, <laughs> because I don't know how much you, you know, I mean, nobody can listen to everybody's podcast all the yeah. time. So, you know, I, I listened to a few years here and there. I used to be on the road all the time. Oh, I could listen to 30 podcasts a week. You know, sure. driving. Um, but I, I recently had Matt Ranella on um, who obviously from the last name, you can tell that's yeah. Steve's brother. And he kind of got me a little woke up about, you know, the R3 movement and mm. 
like what is too many hunters? I don't know. So it's on my mind a lot. So it would take us forever to dive into that. So I think the state of hunting is good. I think, I think the way the direction, some of it's going, it's way different for us upland bird hunters. I've been crowded out of a spot or two, you know, I've historically gone somewhere. Oh shit. Someone's parked there. Right. Sure. Another spot to go walk to. If I were a deer hunter or a turkey hunter or out West hunter, I would say the state of hunting out there, it's, there's too many hunters there. I mean, there's just not enough animals in, in spaces to go hunt them in. So in that regard, I, I'm just giving Matt that shout out. Um, well, do you know what episode number that was off the top of your head? If people want to refer back to that, that was probably, uh, I don't know what episode number it was okay. probably three months ago, okay. two months ago, two, three months ago. Um, but yeah, the state of hunting overall, I think it's great. I think the dogs, the dogs are better, you know, mm. I think in young, you know, all the young guys, like I said, everybody's got a podcast. There's nobody my age talking dogs. They're all, <laughs> they all think, you know, the microphone, you, you got to sound like a radio disc jockey. Um, but you know, you younger guys are out there and you, I think you're, you're already, it's kind of been force fed to you. Habitat membership support, uh, acting, acting on things, you know? Um, so I think the state of it's in good shape. I will just give a, the thing that like, yeah, I don't know how many more we need. I don't, you know, mm. um, you know, if, if we blinked our eyes and we said, Oh, we need twice as many, twice as many, uh, bird hunters next year, where would we all hunt? So it's kind of be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah. But I love the tradition of it. I love, I haven't mentored a lot of people, but in a way I've mentored a lot through my podcast. Cause I get the yeah. emails that, said they heard it. They listened to it. I'm getting a second dog. I'm getting my first dog, yeah. you know? Um, so I, I think the state of it's real good. I think there's just, um, there, there's some, there's some issues with it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's not, that's good. That was a, that was a good teaser. I think that, that, that teed up maybe a future discussion and, and if listeners want to go back and check out the Matt Ranella episode of yours, I think that'll be a, that'll be a good one. I think to, to listen in. So, um, all right, Ron, for the sake of time, we're going to kind of skip uh, a section here and we're going to kind of uh, start wrapping things up. If you're cool with that. That's perfect. That's perfect. So, um, I, I like to end every podcast with a, a few questions and the one I like to ask everyone, um, you know, let's, let's say there's the, the rookie uplander out there. Uh, they're listening to this podcast right now. Um, I, I like to say maybe they just picked up their first bird dog. Maybe this season, fall 2022, is going to be their first upland season. What uh, what piece of advice would you give them? Well, if they if they took the advice I had with V and with Tagus, go slow. Don't be in a hurry. It's impossible. It's almost impossible. Don't be in a hurry. Just get your dog out. Take time. Work on obedience. Obedience does not come in the gene package with a dog. Okay. There's no dog. <laughs> Wait, comes- what? Are you serious? Well, think about it. They, they get search, water, tracking, pointing, retrieving. Those are all genes. Those are all genetically. That's all in the, the recipe already. Yeah. Nowhere in there does a dog come out obedient. Mm. Now, they come out with cooperation, mm. but there's a lot of dogs that are lacking cooperation. Mm. So spend that time with your dog. You know, I'd rather see a, a young guy go hunt a little bit with his dog but be able to call him back. Like he's out hunting and go see that dog zoom back to him. Like, okay. It's, it's not all just about running. You know, yeah. it's not, 
That's but, good. Uh, yeah. Go, I, go I slow. Go slow. Yep. That's great. Thank you. Okay. Um, last section will be our rapid fire round. So I am just going to ask you a few, a uh, few questions and you just give me your off the cuff answer and uh, we'll be wrapping this thing up. So a couple popped in my head as we're, as we're talking. So this one's not on the, the question list, but um, right. how, how many clays have you ever hit in a row? No line. <laughs> I think once I hit 25 in a row. Really? <laughs> I, I, I would choke. You used to get a, a patch from double A shotgun shells. If you're in a trap club, they send a scorecard in and you get a patch that said 25 straight. And I don't think I ever got that patch when I was shooting at the gun club. Oh. I would choke. I would ch- right up into the 20s. I'd be doing good and I'd choke. Oh, <laughs> the pressure. Yeah. The pressure's too much. I do not have, I do not have a brag board of uh, 100 straight or 200. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. All right. I'll say. 24. I'll do 24. 24. Straight. Okay. I, I, I believe that answer. I believe that answer. <laughs> um, all right. A couple more here. Um, what came first for you? The, uh, where'd my question go? Oh, what came first, the dog, the bird or hunting? I would say hunting because like I said, when I was a kid, we'd run around with slingshots and bow and arrows and practice taxidermy on mm. squirrels and pigeons. Mm, nice. So, so so the hunting and reading about hunting, that was always interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hunting, hunting came first. All right. Next one. Uh, favorite dog breed besides the ones you've owned. So this may be a little tough for you. You know, I, I'd probably say uh, English Setter. Okay. Never owned one. Um, boy, when I meet them, I usually love them. And uh, again, uh, a soft, dense coat. It's not up my alley for what I want for a coat and a dog, but yeah, I think English setter. All right. All right. Um, favorite bird to hunt and why? hundred uh, percent ringneck pheasants, wild ringneck pheasants, even, well, I wouldn't say preserved birds, but even some that are like in South Dakota released early in the mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. it can be kind of tricky. Um, but a wild ringneck pheasant plays by no rules. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they're liars, they're cheaters, and they can take a load of, they can take a load of lead like a white-tailed deer can take a gut shot. You know, you, you got to put them down. You hit a woodcock with a BB and it falls down and calls uncle. I mean, you could nick a woodcock in the beak and he's going to fall out of the sky, you know? So yeah, I like pheasants cause they don't play by the rules. Uh, I like that. I like that. They're, they're, they're nasty little things. Um, all right. What gun are you carrying into the field and why? Uh, besides being forced to carry a sponsor's gun in once in a while from CZ to Beretta to Weatherby. Now I like old guns. I like old side-by-sides and I like them older than me. (laughs) There you go. You like them seasoned. I like guns that have been owned by other people and shot by other people. And I've got probably a dozen of those that I picked up from people, friends, sales, uh, things like that. Like old, I have a 120 year old English side-by-side shotgun Wow, that uh, I just absolutely love that gun. That's cool. Older the better. Older, Older the, the better. better. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right. Um, auto loaders you could take and throw in the water. I don't care for auto loaders. Yeah. You know, they're like, eh, they're we're always, good. Always jam. <laughs> That's true. Especially when it's cold and snowy. Not, not good. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, last thing, two-parter question, uh, beverage of choice after a hunt. Well, that would be beer. 
Okay. Yep. You go, you want cheap beer, IPAs, fancy beer? No, no. Yeah. Miller light. That's it. Okay. Miller light. I, I mean, I have learned to drink a lot of different beers, but the one beer I can't drink is an IPA. And I also, I don't, I don't want to get my buzz on fast. <laughs> so slow roll, slow I, roll, slow roll. And you can drink, you can drink about two Miller lights an hour and you can't stop. You, you, <laughs> you don't have to stop. No, you just keep going. It's like, it's like hydration. Keep going. Um, yeah. All right. Second exactly. part, second part to this, it, it might be different. might be not Uh favorite beverage of choice during a podcast. It would still be beer, but I like a better beer. Like, Oh, okay. For a while. Uh, like, Parent parents, it's a local brewery here. Parents Black Ale. Okay, like a, uh, a coffee or a so nut or a brown so you're, beer. You're stepping it up a little bit for the podcast game. I step it up when I sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's just, well, put it this way: when I started doing the podcast, I got a pretty strong Australian contingency that listened to me, and uh, I used to get a lot of emails, and they called me Tinny because they call a can of beer tin. <laughs> oh. And they would, oh. They would, it would count how many times I cracked. Yeah, crack one open. Right? They're like, they're like, nice job, Ron. Eight tinnies last night. <laughs> so, I, I'll, I will never, I will never forget. I, w- I was listening to one of your podcasts back in the day. I was driving with a, a buddy, Matt of mine, to we're going to shoot clays, and we're listening to one of your episodes, and we're like, is is he cracking beers on the on the episode? <laughs> we couldn't figure out like what was happening. We're like, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I didn't, I would have probably had four beers sitting here talking to you, except I've got to do a zoom room tonight for my patrons. So I'll start drinking beer about eight o'clock tonight. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It'll be a, it'll be a lot of beer. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, Ron, thank you so much. This is, this has really been a blast, uh, you know, talking with you, getting to know your story more and, and hearing, uh, you share some of your wisdom about hunting and, and bird dogs. So thank you for doing this. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Uh, you guys, you guys are all doing a good job out there giving people content and giving people, you know, I, I think if we get the hunters organically through podcast and, and desire, I don't like, I don't want to recruit mm. a hunter. I like someone to have the desire to walk in the door. You know, you, you, you want to walk in, I'll, I'll show you where the, you know, I'll show you how to open the windows and close the windows and turn the AC on and everything, but I don't want to talk anybody into doing anything. And I think the podcast I don't think we talk anybody into doing anything. We just, we kind of give them that off season chat box, you know, that when they can't talk to their friends about hunting with their dogs. What a, what a way to summarize this. That is, that's gold right there. Thank you. All righty. Well said. All right, Ron, will you take care? Um, Honey dog podcast, obviously website, people can find you on Instagram, social media, all that. All that stuff. You bet. All right. right. Well, thank you, Ron. You take care. All right. Be good. See you. Well, That's a wrap of episode 50 with Ron Bain. Ron, thank you so much for sharing your time and experiences over the last several years. And really just thank you for the investment you've made into the Upland and Bird Dog community. And don't forget about the podcast giveaway happening over at patreon.com. Now I'm teaming up with some incredible companies run by incredible people and uh, we're going to be doing a giveaway for each of the next four months so we're going to be doing a a giveaway uh, for july 
August, September, and October. And some of these prizes include a, uh, a knife from the Upland Knife Company and Mike Thompson. Um, these knives are second to none. They look beautiful and going to be something you can even pass down generation to generation. It's going to have the podcast logo etched right into the knife. And uh, it's going to be just a really, really sweet piece. Uh, a two-dog uh, cable gang system or a four-dog. Again, this is going to be winner's choice based on what fits you and your needs and, and how many dogs you have. Now, the two-dog system is going to come with uh, two stakeouts. The four-dog is not going to come with stakeouts, but again, it's going to be up to the winner based on what uh, what you need. Uh, it's going to be the Gunner Fan Kit 2.0. Keep those dogs cool this summer, heading into the fall, chasing sharp tails or huns or prairie chickens, whatever it might be. Got to keep those dogs uh, cool in their boxes. And lastly is going to be a complete vest system from Final Rise. That is right, a vest system. Now that could be the tried and true uh, Summit vest, that can be the Legacy vest, or it can be the brand new Sidekick vest uh, over from Final Rise. And again, winner's choice based on what you need and how you train, how you hunt. Uh, you're going to get some, some sweet uh, customization and be able to choose the vest that fits you best. So get uh, signed up at patreon.com and uh, we're going to be doing a giveaway here in July. And again, it's going to be winner's choice. So whoever wins will get first crack at uh, these prizes and so on and so on as we head into the fall. Hey guys, until next time, put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.